that God's heart is that none should perish. Can I get an amen as we get started? The idea here is that there is a harvest that is imminent. And I've heard this really my, my entire Christian life, that harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. I actually believe that we're beginning to see the first fruits of harvest. If you've ever been in the mountains, of course we're all flatlanders here, but if you've ever been in the mountains, as you're driving into the mountains, let's say you're going up towards from Denver out to Granby, Frazier, up in that area, as you're getting into the mountains, there's something that happens when you start getting into the foothills. I don't know about you, but my, my heart starts to beat, especially growing up in West Texas. The only mountains we had were overpasses there, I'm just being honest. And so when we start getting into the foothills, your heart begins to beat and you get excited because you know you're about to start gaining elevation. And I feel like as we lean into this idea of harvest, really it's a vision. The Lord spoke to Max about a year and a half ago. He shared this with all of our campus, what was then called campus ministers, what I call lead pastors. And he shared this with our group and said, said, I believe with all my heart that God has spoken to my heart and that harvest is coming. Now, here's the thing. Growing up in West Texas, I understand farming, especially cotton farming. And I know this, is that you don't wait until the harvest is in the field to start getting ready. So there's a preparation time. Everything you do the rest of the year, when it looks like nothing has happened, a lot is happening. And what it is, it's getting ready. So I want to ask you and invite you to lean in and pray with us. Let's pray together as a church family for harvest. Because you can see there's a few empty seats here. We already had a service. We're up 75 to 100 people over last year this time. And so I want you to know we're growing. Harvest is coming. We're getting into the foothills. So I want to invite you to stand with us. The goal is not to grow a big church. The goal is to grow mega people. To make disciples that know how to make disciples. To, to get to the place where there's something about us that is so contagious that, as we shared earlier, be, we begin to overflow everywhere we go. And so that's our heart, our vision for our community and beyond, is that we would reach our area with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uncompromised and passionate. To become passionate servants of Jesus Christ. That's our heart. So join us in this as we pray. And I want to do something. I did this in the first service and I feel led to do it again. I want us to pray for VIPs. You know what a VIP is? Very important people or a very important person. And so I want us to lean into this because there are people in your relational orbit. People that you know, people you walk with, maybe you work with, maybe family who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, much less Lord of their lives. And it's, it's been on your heart for them to come to know Christ. Maybe you've whispered a prayer for them, or maybe when you've been out with them, you've, you've said, Lord, I just, man, I just wish they would step over the line. We can all think of people in our lives and in our relational orbit that haven't stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus. And so let's take a moment, and I just want to utter a prayer with you. We'll also pray for, for the message today. And let's pray that 2019, 2019 will be a year of great harvest for those that are in our lives. Because we all know somebody, or somebodies, we know several, that don't know Jesus. And when you get around them, you want to talk about your faith, and yet it's that awkward moment. Maybe we can pray that God will, will do something as a catalyst to open their hearts to Jesus. Can we do that together? So just get in your mind, who's your VIP? Who's a VIP or two or three that you know that you work with that need to know Jesus? Can you do that right now? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we believe that it is your heart for harvest. It is your heart that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. We believe it is your heart for all to be saved, all to be born again. It's your desire. It's your will. And Father, you've given us opportunity and privilege to be in people's orbit that we can help them see the gospel in action. Not see perfect people. Lord, we declare no perfect people allowed in this building. But they don't see perfect people. They see people that are in the process of perfection. Big difference. So Lord, as we're in the process of sanctification and growth and development as followers of Jesus, not just fans, as disciples of Jesus, as passionate servants of Christ, Lord, may they see the overflow out of our life and be compelled to ask the right questions. And Lord, give us grace as witnesses to simply answer the questions that are being asked. May our life be so compelling that people have to ask questions. And so we pray for our VIPs. We pray for people in our lives right now. If you have those in your mind right now, church family, just in your mind's eye, just see them. Just hold them up before the throne. It's almost like we're escorting them into the throne room of God. So let's just escort our VIPs before the throne. So Father, we escort those people that we love. My own father, my own dad, J.D. Pruitt. We escort the people that we love before your throne and people that we work with or people that are friends. And Father, we hold them before you. We say, Lord Jesus, we present them to you. And we ask, Lord, would you do something that creates a catalyst moment for them so that their heart will be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that they would come to know the truth. The truth that has set us free and is setting us free. Would you do that, Father? We hold them before you. We ask. Your word says that we're to let our requests be made known to you. So we're doing this on their behalf. So Father, we declare and we thank you in advance by faith for answered prayer. We thank you for movement, whether it's a millimeter or mile, we'll celebrate it in their life. Father, we'd love to close the deal on this for them to step over the line, fall on their knees at an altar in a dramatic moment. But Lord, we'll be thankful for every little movement on the road to discipleship. Even if it's a baby step. Father, would you create movement and opportunity this week? And Father, for us who are in their path, would you give us opportunity to live our lives out loud for Jesus? For it's in Christ's name that we pray and everyone agreed. Amen and amen. I want to challenge you and encourage you. Keep these VIPs in your heart, in your mind. And we will, I don't know if we'll do it every week yet. I'm looking at an opportunity or a way to remind us to do that. But we want to pray for those who are in our orbit. Amen? Today we're going to talk about this. By the way, I went completely off script on this. Um, we were supposed to talk about two weeks of stewardship and generosity. And I'm looking at what you just did for the year-end offering. I'm thinking, I think I'm going to go a different direction. Our folks got this. I mean, come on, folks. You're doing amazing. Not that we won't teach on it because we will. But I really felt led because there's a theme, a topic that continues to percolate to the surface in my heart. Have you ever been in such a good mood that people around you wonder what's wrong with you? I know y'all do that with me a lot. I'm just saying, I got up this morning and I had this sense. God is in a good mood. And my thought was this, if God's in a good mood today, maybe as a follower of His and maybe as a son, maybe I should be in a good mood too. 
Now, that doesn't mean Rome's not burning. That doesn't mean things aren't going bad. It doesn't mean culture is like going to hell in a handbasket. That's what my granddad used to say. So it doesn't matter, and it doesn't mean that those things aren't happening. In fact, for me to be in a good mood and live up in a down world doesn't really change the world, but it certainly changes my perception of the world. And here's my perception of this. God is a good Father. And He is madly crazy in love. He is nuts about you. By the way, I said that a number of years ago, and somebody got really offended at me for saying that God is nuts about you from the pulpit, and I got a really nasty email. And I'm like, wow, this is somebody who doesn't get that God's nuts about him. It was a heartbreaker. But you know what? It didn't make me have a bad day. It just made me sad for him. Here's the thing. Many years ago, I got a revelation of the love of God. And God will bring those in different ways. For me, it was a dream. I literally had a dream that changed my life. But there's other incidents along the way, and we can all look at spiritual markers in our lives. One spiritual marker for me was Julie Heron. Everybody has a Julie Heron in their life, every young boy. I was eight years old, and I was in love with Julie. She lived across the street, and she was like the neighborhood hottie. I'm just being straight with you guys. I wasn't raised in church, so I say things sometimes, so... Apologies in advance. So, so all the boys on the block wanted to be Julie Heron's boyfriend or, you know, person of interest. So we always did stuff, I mean, like you did. You know, we would wreck our bicycle in her front yard just to get her attention. Fall over backwards in a chair, hit our head on the ground, because that impresses the ladies, right? So we did crazy stuff to try to impress Julie. So here's what's fun. The block I grew up on in my neighborhood had my cousins, my three cousins that lived three houses down. My grandparents lived one house down. So anytime family was in town, our block was covered with kids. And we lived in a day where you actually went outside and played. I know that's kind of weird to think about nowadays, but we actually went outside because, hey, we didn't have any screens holding our attention inside. Hey, I'm not preaching bad here. Don't, don't get all like, oh, yeah, hey, stay on that, pastor. No, no, no. That was just the culture we were in. We went outside and played. So all the guys on the block, all the girls, and then all my school, my elementary school, we were only three blocks from the school. So, I mean, a lot of kids lived within, you know, striking distance. So, I mean, we were always swarming kids. Football games, pickup basketball games, playing hot box during baseball season. I mean, it was always just fun on my block. Well, I remember they showed West Side Story on TV, and there were these really intense gangs. Remember that? And they would have these rumbles. Of course, they were singing the whole time they were doing it, so it's kind of weird. But it was a musical, right? Remember that? So they'd like get all down. They got switchblade, and then they're, they're singing and stuff. And I remember thinking as eight-year-old kid, this is weird. But, but we got this idea about, hey, we should have a rumble on the block. We got all these kids. So we organized ourselves into boys versus girls. And guess who the leader of the girls' pack was? Julie Heron. So I'm like, sweet. So back in the day, they would throw every Sunday these little Sunday flyers, and they would bundle them up, and so they made a really nice baton. They were the original weapons of mass destruction. You remember those? We, and we would end up just stockpiling them. Where, you know, we'd throw them, we'd have bomb fights with them, and, and they were like batons, you could whip a dog, you could kill a fly, I mean, you could beat your little brother, I mean, you, they were just awesome. 
So everybody was armed with these little Sunday flyers, right? Rubber bands around them, papers ready to go. And so we have a showdown in Gary Tibbetts' driveway because it was the largest driveway on the block. So we're in the driveway, and it's the girls against guys. It's like, man, we got this West Side Story moment going on. We're about to have a rumble. It's on. And Julie's at the front of the pack, and for some reason, she singles me out, which really made me happy in the moment, <laughs> until she started talking smack about my mom, because she wanted to fight. That's what a rumble is, right? I was just there in love, and she's like talking bad about my mom and stuff, so I started to get a little like, whoa, 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 wait, what's happening here? She was there to fight. I was there because I was in love with her, but she's all in my face, and and she flinches toward me, and I've got my paper. I'm like, whoa, this is getting serious. And all the adrenaline an eight-year-old can muster just exploded through my body. So I'm like, full attention now. A war is about to happen. The gauntlet's been thrown down. And my cousin, Todd, who's Gary's little brother, sneaks around behind Julie. And he gets behind her, and as I'm sitting there full of adrenaline, like, oh, it's on. We're about to rumble. Start singing or something. It's like a musical. My cousin Todd pushes Julie at me, and she lunges at me, clumsy, and I, please don't think bad of me. This was a long time ago. I forgot I had a paper in my hand. And when she lunged at me, I threw a right cross, which landed squarely on her lip. And it exploded her lip. And we went from West Side Story to a scene in Carrie, where she drops to her knees, shrieking in bloody murder, and blood is running down her hands. And I mean, and all of my friends, my posse, my gang, come on, my homies, you know what they did? They scattered like cockroaches. I mean, it's every boy for himself at this point. They're all running, the girls, nobody knows what to do. It's mayhem. It's carnage. It's craziness right here on... Gary Tibbetts driveway and and she's on her knees screaming and everybody leaves and it's just me and Julie and she's screaming bloody murder and it looks bad I mean this is like blood down her arm and I'm like partly proud because I landed a solid right hook but partly ashamed because my parents taught me you never hit a girl but it was a pure reaction I'm serious I'm honest I did it just happened and all the moms start coming out. You know, moms never came out on the block unless blood was actually spurting in the rhythm of your heart or someone was shrieking bloody murder like you've never heard before. So moms start coming out, and all of a sudden it's starting to get serious. And one of the moms, which is actually Gary's mom, my Aunt Linda, gets Julie, escorts her across the street, and it's over, right? So I did what any self-respecting eight-year-old, I run like my life depended on it, all three houses down to my house. And I go in my bedroom, and I'm hiding. And my brother's coming up to me. you got to understand, three, and three years younger than me, he's going, ooh, ooh, dad's going to kill you. Oh, you hit a girl. I mean, I'm just like, I'm about to, you know, take you out again. And so it's my little brother, right? And so, I mean, it's on. And I hear, after just a little bit, and I'm waiting for the door to open because I'm thinking, you know, I'm about to get hauled off to jail. And I hear the doorbell ring, and I hear two grown men yelling at each other. It's Julie Heron's dad coming to get me. <laughs> and he is reading the riot act to my dad. And my, I mean, my, they're going at each other. And then he leaves. 
And then I'm really scared. Talk about adrenaline. And then he, he doesn't just open the door. He bolts into the door. And he's got the dreaded leather belt. Have you ever had a whipping so bad that when your dad or mom grabbed one arm, you just started running? And they're so skilled. You know, they, parents had skills back then. It wasn't like you're grounded or go take a time out, Jimmy Dale. It was like, I'm about to beat you to within an inch of your life. That was called discipline back then, remember? I was like, if I had CPS on speed dial, I'd be calling. Child Protective Services. He's whipping me for everything. And I'm spinning him around and we're going around my room and he's landing every blow. Talk about skills. And finally, when he's done, he leaves me, and I'm, I'm on a heap, you know, I'm just like totally heartbroken, I'm in pain, I can't believe I hit a girl, Julie's never going to talk to me again. And then my brother leaves, and apparently he went and told my dad what really happened, the rest of the story, that my cousin Todd pushed her, and that they were threatening us, and they were talking about our mamas. And they were, the girls were the ones adding this on, right, girls? What is up with mean girls? Seriously. And my dad realized he had not asked what happened. He didn't come and verify the story. And so he came in the room, and I mean, I'm just a mess. And he sits down with me, and he gets on the same level as me. And with tears in his eyes, he repented to me. And he apologized for jumping the gun. He apologized for not asking what the real story was. And I got to tell you, in the moment, I mean, I was hurting here. <laughs> but my heart suddenly realized that my dad was apologizing to me, a little boy. And in that moment, something clicked for me, and it was this. I knew I was loved. I knew I was loved. Even though he had just whooped me to within an inch of my life, and most of those I deserved, I'm not going to lie. But I knew I was loved in that moment. And i got to tell you something. When you know you're truly loved, first of all, as my earthly father, but when you know you're truly loved, you walk different, you talk different, you actually get a little swagger on. Come on, somebody. You get a little swagger on because now you realize if my daddy loves me, what else really matters? I'm protected. I'm covered. He loves me. And I found in my walk with Jesus and my walk with the Father God, I call him Abba. Miss Charlene calls him Papa. I love that. I call him Abba Father because I heard kids in the airport at Tel Aviv crying out to their daddies, Abba, Abba, Abba. So I call him Abba. When you know you're loved, I'm telling you, you'll walk different. You'll talk different. Let me tell you what you'll do. You'll smile. You'll live up in a down world. Rome may be burning, but you're not. You may get a bad diagnosis, but God's good. You may get bad news, but God's still good. Things may not work out. Wheels fall off. Things break. But God is still good in the midst of all of that. Because you know you will get through it. Or as the coffee mug that I loved, I saw in Nashville said, Igbok on it. It's going to be okay. You just know in your knower that it's going to work out. Igbok, it's going to be okay. When you're loved, your confidence, your security goes off the charts. And you know what? 
You can get up on a Sunday morning, play your guitar like a wild man because you're just so happy because of the goodness of God. When we were in Nashville, we were at a church called Grace Chapel and they had A-list session musicians on the worship team. I mean, it was insane. These guys were all professional musicians that you hear on records. And they were the worship team. So our worship leader, Jonathan, had this idea. He said, you know, it's so weird that being Christians, we all, you know, all these session players and all, most of all of y'all were at a bar or at a concert venue last night in Nashville. And, and all of you are either married to a musician or you know a musician or your nephew's a musician. So you've been, and then we come to church and we act like there's no joy in the world. But we'll go out on Friday or Saturday night and we'll watch these musicians play and we'll clap and we'll cheer and we're like, it's amazing. He said, then we come to Sunday morning and we just like go all stoic. He said, we need to change that here. Amen. So five minutes before the service started, he told all of his musicians, he said, it's free jam time. So every Sunday morning, we started walking in, and I mean, I'm talking free jam. I'm talking rocking it. I'm talking shredding guitars. I'm talking these musicians got five minutes of freedom before the Lord and before the body of Christ to give what they have been blessed with back. And I'm telling you, it, it really, the place was on fire. Now look around our church. You know, I mean, we've, we're our median age right here in Fredericksburg in our church is 58.7. <laughs> I don't know where the .7 comes from. We're 58.7 years of age here. The, the median age of our church at Grace Chapel was probably the same-ish. But I'm telling you, they were wild. I mean, you can tell some of that older generation grew up in the 60s and 70s. They knew good rock and roll music. I mean, you can be 50, 60, 70, but I'm telling you, you still know good guitar, right? And I mean, it, the whole place came alive and people were dancing and cheering and clapping. And, and that became a tradition. They still do it to this day. Five minutes of free before Jesus jam time. You know why? Freedom. Because Jonathan got a revelation. He's the worship leader there. He got a revelation that he's free to be himself. And these musicians who are so amazing should be allowed to be themselves. And present their skills before God. And it should be celebrated, not disdained. Oh, don't bring that worldly guitar lick in here. Believe me, I was on the cutting edge of Christian music in the early 80s. Trust me, I've had a Bible held in my face more than once because I was carrying an electric guitar into a church. We paved the way for this stuff. <laughs> Paid some hard dues. We were the first ones to bring drums into a church, to bring a, a Marshall amplifier and a Gibson Les Paul in, and they're just like, these devil boys playing this rock and roll. I mean, it was Unbelievable. And we just wanted to play and use our talents to glorify God. Why? Because we started to understand what freedom was about. So here's my question for you. We're just going to cover some short things. We'll finish next week. Here's the thing. Are you free? Are you free, child of God? Are you really free? Or have you taken on a bunch of man-made religious rules... 
liabilities, restrictions. Because, you know, we should be conservative as children of God. Do you know what the word conservative means? It means to hold back. Do you really think that's what Jesus has called us to do? To hold back? To conserve? To keep safe? To protect? Or could it be that Jesus paid the highest price for your freedom so that you could truly be all He's called you to be, all He's gifted you to be, and in that unique gift set that you have, maybe we need to just take the top off of that thing. There was a couple in our church in Abilene. Oh my gosh. They were wild. I mean, he was from England. She was from, she was a local. But I mean, this girl, I'm, it was embarrassing sometimes the way she dressed and came to church. I mean, some people would have said, honey, you need to go home and change. You know, I mean, it was just one of those. And he was wild and they were wild. But the thing is, what we figured out later is we got to know Stephanie is that she's an artist. We all know about artists, right? No, I'm just, hey, I are one. It takes one to know one. We're, we're a little on the edgy side sometimes. And what we realize is that she actually had a great high capacity for, for art. And she loved art. And what we were trying to do, and even Annette and I in our, our religious days, we we're trying to calm her down. Hey, you need to dial it back, girl. You need, hey, you know, this is church. Remember that? Because we were like, oh my gosh, it's like a hooker is in our church. I'm not lying. I'm serious. I mean, we're talking net stuff. I'm, I'm like, whoa. But she was coming from another world, and Jesus was wooing her into ours, and we almost blew it. We almost messed up. We almost made an exception to the gospel by saying, you know, you really need to clean your act up before you come. Can you imagine if we would have done that to her? But instead, we invited her to our singles group, which we had a wild singles group, I'm just saying. We had a single again group that, would, that was so much fun. But it was wild and dramatic. Because we, we had 30, 40 people showing up, and we invited her, and she ended up meeting her soon-to-be husband. And they got pregnant out of wedlock. Remember that? And we were, all, we were walking with them through all this mess. Let me just tell you something. If you're called to love people, it will be messy. Amen. And if you don't learn to value people over your preferences, you'll never reach another soul for Jesus Christ. Jesus. You'll reach them for religion, but you won't reach them for Jesus. So we made some decisions. We had a friend that came over named Greg Burson. He was, had a prophetic gift. He was from Auckland, New Zealand. And he came, and remember, he stopped them at the back door, and he looks at, at both of them, and he says, whatever you do, he didn't know him from anybody, whatever you do, don't ever change who you are for church. And we were like, no! <laughs> don't say that! Because we were trying to conform them and mold them into our little mold because we wanted them to fit in because of our preferences, because we were a little embarrassed. You know what? They never changed. They're doing great. They're walking with Jesus. She's a part of the art community there in Abilene and hosts art exhibits. And now she's an artist herself. And they're, they're soaring in their giftings because finally the Lord got a hold of us to know, do not hold them back. I created them that way. 
Yes, it's edgy. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's messy, but I love them. And I created them that way. Oh, the stories we could tell. How messy this thing gets. But here's the thing. Let me just dial us in and we'll go. In fact, go to the next. Yeah, you got it there. God does not judge people. God judges sin. Can we at least leave with that truth today? We have this idea that God is sitting on a throne just waiting to thump people off the earth. I had someone come to me before the first service today, and he said, hey, I've got a friend who's struggling who thinks he may have committed the unpardonable sin. I said, brother, if he committed the unpardonable sin, God would have thumped him off the earth a long time ago. The fact that he has a pulse and that his heart is beating means there's a promise and a purpose yet to be realized. He is not... In fact, we need to unpack that verse for you guys sometime because it doesn't say what you think it says. So, I just assured him, trust me, if he committed the unpardonable sin, he'd be six feet under right now. He'd be on the other side of the grass line. So here's the thing. A lot of us have this mentality, this attitude that God is up there just waiting for us to mess up. You ever been taught that in religion? God's looking down and oh, and even parents, I've heard parents say this. Well, you know that hurts God's feelings when you do that. Telling a seven-year-old to straighten up. First of all, seven-year-olds don't straighten up. Hello, they're seven-year-olds. But then threatening them that God may withhold His love because of their behavior. Boy, it starts young, doesn't it? And thus, the blanket of religion, the wet blanket of religion gets thrown over us. And we find ourselves beginning to go into that horrible word I don't like. Conserving, holding back, withdrawing. Be for fear that I might make a mistake. You know, so many people never realize the potential God's placed in them because they're so afraid of making a mistake, they never try anything. God doesn't judge people, God judges sin. For God so loved the world. Can we just stop there? God loves the world. Oh, whoa, no, wait, wait a minute. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. I heard that preached before. God so loved the world that He gave Jesus to die a horrible death on behalf of the world. On behalf of you before you were a follower of Jesus. You know, some of us act like we've walked with Jesus so long, we, th we think we were that way from birth. I don't know about you, but God has never let me forget how I was B.C. I was a train wreck. The beauty of it is I'm still a wreck, but Jesus loves me so much that I'm okay with that. And we're growing through it and being sanctified through it. So listen to this. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Be careful that that verse doesn't become so familiar that you don't read the words or actually lean into what this is saying. But here's the thing. In Koine Greek, there is no punctuation. One verse literally runs into another. There are no separations. So we're going to read it like it's actually written, at least transliterated into our language or translated. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. 
Oh, may the truth make us free. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Look what Billy Graham says. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. Remember what He judges? Sin, not you. The beautiful thing about God judging sin is it's already been done. Jesus cried out on the cross to tell us, it is finished. Once it was done, it was done. Sin was judged. Once that happened, now we live from this side of the resurrection. In other words, we don't fight for victory. We fight from the perspective and the position of victory. So we've won. By the way, congratulations. You already won. You already hit the lottery. Every morning you wake up, you won, right? You've hit the lottery. It's like swing for the fence. You already won the game. Why not have some fun in this world knowing that we already win unless we don't believe it? Really. Or as Joyce Meyer calls them, unbelieving believers. We're Christian enough to go to church, but we're not saved enough to believe that He did it totally. Wholly, fully, completely. So we're just saved enough to live a really guilt-ridden, shame-filled, religious life where we're just walking around with a backpack full of rocks. And He keeps saying, I died for your freedom. You're free. Live free. Be free. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. Look what my job is. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Look at the next verse. We'll end with this one today. We'll just pick this up next week. No condemnation plus set free in Christ equals life. The word is zoe in the Greek. And it literally means the God kind and the God quality of life. Get that. The God kind of life and the God quality of life. In other words, what Jesus said in John 10.10, that the thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life, zoe, the God kind, God quality of life, and have it more abundantly. Another translation says, to the full. You know what that literally means? Overflowing. That is what He died to give you. Listen to this. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now a little bit of condemnation until you get your act together. Until you get it cleaned up. Until you pull yourself together. Can you believe the audacity to think that we can pull ourselves together? Pull yourself together, man. I can't. If I do not have God at work in my life transforming my heart, I cannot pull myself together for five minutes. You know how I know that? Because I've tried and I've failed over and over and over. I stand before you a colossal failure at trying to fix myself. Trying to have it together, get it together, pull it together. I'm a failure at that. Colossal. But you know what's beautiful about being a child of God is that failure is never final. Because He has the last word. Could you literally lean into this today? Let's just go out with this. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? Have you stepped over the line? Did you give your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I give you everything I am. I don't know even know what all that means, but I give you my life. I accept what you did for me on the cross. You died for me, according to the Bible. And because of that, I, whatever that means, I'm it. Have you done that? If you have, you stepped over the line, you embraced that. There's no condemnation. None. Zero. On your worst day, in your worst moment, in the middle of your worst decision, on the ugliest day of the planet of your life, you were never less loved than you are today. Never. We have a hard time embracing that because religion teaches us that you get what you earn. It's a pilgrim, pilgrim's work ethic. It, it's this idea that if I work this much, I get paid this much. But let me tell you, that may be the world, but that is not the kingdom. And so as we close, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life, the principles, the principles of the Spirit of life has set you what? Somebody say it out loud like you mean it. Free? Say this with me. I am free. Now we're going to say all three words together. I'll say it, then you say it after me. I am free. Some of you literally had to say that by faith, but let me tell you something. God honors faith. And if you don't feel free, that doesn't change the truth because the truth is not contingent on what you believe about it. The truth is still the truth. And you are free in Jesus. In fact, you are so free that you are no longer a sinner. You are now a saint who sometimes sins. <laughs> Because sin has been condemned and your identity has been changed in Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Why? Because to tell us die. It is finished. He dealt with it. Can we do something crazy radical this week? Can we actually walk out of here? And whether you fully get it or not, can you just get it on your mouth? I am free. You know, sometimes driving my truck around town, I'll literally, before I say, I'm so thankful for freedom. Thank you, Lord, that I'm free. I may not feel free in the moment, but that doesn't change the truth. I am free. Are you free? You're free indeed, according to the Scripture. Why don't we all stand together? So here's what I'm going to pray. No words that I, Max, or anybody else ever say will change your life. Only the Holy Spirit at work in your core. Only the Holy Spirit changes the human heart. All we do is offer these things up there and then say, Lord, go get them. And that's all we can do. Lord, just like an arrow, just land it where it needs to go. So I'm just going to pray as we close that the Holy Spirit will literally, literally allow the arrows, so to speak, to hit their mark. Okay? Can we do that? Can you just receive that? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my friends and my family here. May they know today they are loved. May they know today they are free. And Lord, may they walk this week like free people. May they live like free people. It's not permission to sin. It's permission to live fully and enjoy 
what Jesus Himself purchased for us on the cross. And that is life and life to the full. Life and life more abundantly. The God kind and quality of life. Lord, I declare it over our people. I declare that, that Oak Hills Fredericksburg will become an epicenter of life that emanates out from here in shockwaves throughout our community. Life and life more abundant because we are free indeed. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said.